All right, we're back to podcast, and um, we're going back to Ephesians 1. I told you when uh, we got started last week that it was, I, I, I don't say a challenge uh, necessarily, but it's just so, so, just such a monumental chapter um, that it's, it's, um, it's very in depth, very in depth. It's, it's to me, to me personally, and Romans eight is right there. And this is not taking anything from Romans eight, but like I've said uh, twice now uh, in our study, um, this is the richest one chapter in the Bible. I have no doubt. Um, so we're, we're going back to Ephesians one and we're going to kind of hit some places that I didn't get to last time. Um, and, and then we're going to maybe get into Ephesians two. We'll just see. I'll try to keep it around 30. Last time we went 40 plus minutes. Um, and I didn't feel like I scratched the surface, um, so tonight we're going to try to go a little bit more in detail and try to hit some highlights and then transition into chapter two, which is just also phenomenal. So let's let's take our time and go to Ephesians chapter number one. Ephesians chapter number one. And we're going to get our start. So go Galatians and Ephesians. Let me get there. Ephesians. Uh, chapter number one. Ephesians chapter number one. All right. I need to get good and set up myself. We we did cover pretty good through about. Um, let's let's go to verse number. Verse number eleven. Verse number 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated. Okay, there's a, there's that word. Now, let's talk about predestination real quick. Every time you read the word predestinated or predestined in the New Testament, in the Bible, you will find that it is speaking to and about people that are already saved and the predestined that or the predestiny that God had ordained for them after they got saved. In other words, what he has in mind for us after we get saved. Now, I do, I, I, I'm well aware that we're chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. There's a lot that goes in that. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, and then, of course, we've got the term elected. Um, let, let's take the term elected and and we'll we'll interchange it with predestinated because they 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 are very they so very they're two different words but they are very related. Um, when when a president is dutifully and and is uh, honestly with integrity elected, 
to hold office. It doesn't have to be a president. What, whatever. It can be a governor. It can be a senator. Whatever. When someone is elected to an office, okay, they still are not the title holder to that office until inauguration day. Okay, so in, in America, we we vote on that first Tuesday in November. Every fourth year, I'm just using the office of presidency, for example. And then once once the, the, the election comes in and, of course, the delegates, you got all that kind of stuff. But still, yeah, the person that's elected does not become president. They're called the president, of the elect, president elect until Inauguration Day. That's January 20th. Now... That's how we, with the word election, that's, that's a good way to look at our salvation. We're elected. We are elected to be saved. We're, we're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. But we, we're, we're not saved until we, by grace, through faith, the faith that is given to us and the grace bestowed upon us, become a child of God at new birth, okay? So I hope that helps you understand it just a bit. Now, that being the case, if he died for the whole world, that's that's what he's done, chosen in him before the foundations of the world. However, we know that many, many, many have died unsaved, and so they never accepted their call. They, they never accepted with the light that they had been given to salvation, okay? And based upon that, they die without God. For you and I, when we're convicted, we're drawn, we get light from God, we respond positive, positively to the light that he gives us, and then he gives us more light. For you and I, folks, that is our salvation and when we get saved. Now... Predestination, we see that verse word in verse number 11. It speaks of being marked out, called out. The word in, in its different forms, it appears only three passages in the Bible, and it never speaks, again, I repeat, it never speaks of a person that is predestinated or marked out to be lost or to be saved. It always, every, every time, 100% of the time, speaks of someone that is saved every single time, okay? So, we're clear on that. We're, we're, we're understanding that. Let's, let's move forward now and go a little bit further. Um, in Romans 8 and 29, you don't have to turn there, but that, that's another predestination verse Romans 8 and 29, we find that those that are, that are predestined are those that are marked out to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. In Ephesians 1, 5, we see that word. I've told you there were three times I'm giving them to you. It is written to those that have been chosen in Christ and have been marked out for the place of his children. And then here in Ephesians 1, 11 and 12, we learn that Christ only been marked out for praise of his glory. Um... 
So it can be looked at as election has to do with the Christian and has been chosen from, while predestination has to do with the Christian and what he's been marked to. Okay, so that's that's a good way of looking at it. Now, look at what it says. In whom we have also obtained inheritance. So we've got an inheritance. When we become a son through adoption and the new birth, we have an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him. So we're predestinated according to his purpose, the purpose that he has for us who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So he works in accordance to his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So his predestination for you and I that are saved is that, that we, uh, we, we work according, and what he does, he works in us according to the counsel of his own will. And that's the will of God for our lives after we get saved. And there is a word, a, a will of God for your life after you get saved. There's an intent. There's something that God wants for you, wants you to do. There's a way that he wants you to live. Okay? Now, we transition into pre, to Paul's... Uh, we go to verse 13. In whom also you trusted after that you heard the word of truth... The gospel of your salvation. So, this is beautiful. You heard the word of truth. You trusted the gospel of salvation. And this, like I told you last time, then you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And I explained what sealed was the last time we, we had podcast. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now again, earnest is is a is it's not even a down payment money. Um, a down payment money kind of goes to the principal. It goes to the loan. So say, you know, you buy a house for one hundred fifty thousand dollars. I don't know what you can get for one hundred fifty thousand dollars these days, but you buy a house for one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and you put fifty down. Well, all of that down payment goes towards the principal, so you'll owe around $100,000. That's not earnest. Earnest, many times you don't get back. Most of the time you don't. Sometimes you might be able to negotiate it into uh, some money paid, but, but it's not guaranteed like the down payment. The earnest money just just reserves the contract and the house for you so nobody can come and get it from you. Now, you think about that real quick. Think about what I just said. Earnest money reserves the home for you. It reserves the contract for you so that no one can come in and undercut you and take what you intend to buy. So look at this. It's not the payment. It's just the earnest down. Now, the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit is, you can't even describe how wonderful He is. He loves us. He seals us. He comforts us. He teaches us. He guides us. He leads us. He directs us. He brings all things to our remembrance. I mean, you, you I, there's, that's a message in and of itself to teach what the Holy Spirit does for us. He protects us. 
He makes intercession. I mean, you, you, I, I could, I'm going to do a lesson on, on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So as good as he is, as good as he is, and he is a he, he's a third person, not even the third person of Godhead. He's, he's a, God's a triune being, and he makes up God the Father. So he's a person. As good as he is to us, He's just, it's just, and I don't want to use the term just, because that minimizes him. But it's earnest money. So you imagine how good, and think about how good and sweet the Spirit of God has been to you since you've been saved. Upon the day that you get saved and thereafter, think about how sweet the Spirit of God is has been to you. He squeezes me sometimes. I'm going down the road and just tears come out. And it feels so good. I've never experienced... I'm going to tell you, I've had a lot of good feelings in my life. I've I've helped deliver one of my children. I've seen so many people get saved in the ministry. I've done all kinds of things. And I've had experienced wonderful, wonderful things. But what the Spirit of God does for us is the sweetest experience that we can imagine. And it's just an earnest of what God's going to completely do when we're in His presence forever. The Spirit of God is earnest. And that's that's what it says. That's the description of it. So, in other words, it's the first payment made on a purchase to a buyer of a home. That's, that's what it is. So let's go to verse 15 now. Verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, in love unto all the saints. So look, they got saved, and you know what they do? They love all the saints. Look at look at who? All the saints. We know that we've passed from death unto life when we love the brethren. We know that we've passed. From death unto life when we love the brethren. Okay? Who? All the saints. Look at verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith, so he heard their faith, their salvation, of the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints. That's the ones that you don't quite get along with sometimes. That's the ones that you don't get see eye to eye with sometimes. Now, I, I have to ask, with all that we see with God's people sometimes not being able to get along, how does that jive and how does that coincide with what we see here in a love for all the saints? Kind of hard to reconcile, ain't it? Now, I'll admit, I get along better with some than others. But I can't tell you one person I hate and one person that I don't love in Christ. Not one. Not one. I don't I can't think of one person, not one, that that's saved by the grace of God. I can look them in the eye and tell them I love them in Jesus. Not one. Now that's that's evidence of salvation, folks. And if you don't have that in your heart, you you need, you need Check up on this thing and ask the Lord to make sure you've got the expanded love of Christ in you, the love of all the saints. Verse 16, 
cease not to give thanks for you. So Paul, every day he, he prays, he gives thanks for the Ephesian believers, making mention of you in my prayers. So he prays for them and he gives thanks for them. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So you pray for wisdom, God will give you that spirit of wisdom and that spirit of revelation in the knowledge of himself. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance of his saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So do you see it begins to speak of the process of what he does in us? So when you get saved, the Holy Spirit here in Ephesians chapter 1 is trying to illustrate for us just some of what God does for us when he saves us. Some of the, of the wonderful things that he does for us when he makes us his own. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, being opened up and illuminated, that you may know God wants you to be saved and God wants you to know you're saved. And then he wants you to learn how to walk and live for him. That's what I'm going to be preaching and teaching on on Sunday mornings is how to walk and to live for God, especially in these days. And what is the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward? The power of God that is given to us it is shown to usward. Who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now here's something. Here's something that I've taught, always taught. I've probably taught some of you this already. The same power of God that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power of God that saves you. The very same power. So you want to tell me he can't seal you? You want to tell me he can't get you out of sin? You want to tell me he can't make you love the brethren? You want to tell me he can't change your life and give you joy and glory and victory and, and life and love everlasting? The very power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power of God that lives in you once you get saved. It's the power that saves you. Which he wrought in Christ, he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Now watch this. Far above all principality. You know, we're going to find out later that, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And Christ is above all principalities. He's above Satan. And all power. Satan has been granted some power when he won dominion over Adam in the garden. But Christ is above his power. And might and dominion. Dominion is a big word. It's an important word. Not big in terms of letters, but big in terms of doctrine. Do you remember what God gave Adam in the garden? He gave him dominion. 
What did Adam lose in the garden to Satan? Dominion. But when Christ came and he died on the cross and he resurrected all principality, power, might, and dominion, that's control. If you've got dominion over someone, you've got control over them. So yes, Satan, as I've taught you many times, is the little G-O-D of this world. But he's not going to have ultimate control. That control and authority is given to Christ, the Son of God. And we should start living like that. Dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also that which is in the world to come. So in this life, as well as in the coming life in heaven, Christ is in control, ultimately. Now, right now, right now, in this world, in this world system, Adam has given Christ, given Satan some control, some elements of control. But I'm telling you, Christ is going to straighten it out because he is the one that's far above all principality, power, and dominion, and authority. And it's put all things under his feet. So everything is under his feet. In other words, that's control. If you've got a, a bug, a snake, something under your foot. Okay, you take a snake and you, you put your foot across his head. You've got control of him. And that gives you the answer to he shall bruise thy heel, but he shall crush thy head. You got that? Under his feet. That's so important. That the powers, Satan, dominions, principalities are all under the feet of Christ. That means they're under the ultimate control of Jesus Christ. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church. I've seen preachers try to make themselves heads of the church. I've seen priests do the same thing. Now, th there's no doubt that the Bible refers to an overseer and that we should have oversight in the church. But the head of the church is Jesus. The head of the church is Christ. And that's very plain and according to Ephesians chapter 1. And that's just beautiful in the fact that, that I will pray with you and I will pray for you but I don't have to pray in your place. You can pray just like I can pray. Now verse 23, which is his body. So you remember all the description I've been giving you. When we get saved, we begin to make up a body. Okay, That body makes up the church. Well, when that body gets complete, we can become his bride. And what was his body in the church is now his bride. Okay? which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So one day, one glorious day, the body, the bride, the church is going to be complete. The last person is going to get saved. And Jesus says, that's it. She's ready. She's complete. She's in her fullness. She's, she's, it's time. And he makes the church his bride, and he loves us forevermore. Now, it goes right into chapter 2. Chapter 2. And I'm just going to hit the highlights real quickly. 
just the highlights, but look at what it says. And you hath he quickened. Do you know what quickened means? Quickened means to be made alive. And you hath he quickened who were, that's time past, dead in trespasses and in sins. So what did God do for Jesus? He raised him from the dead and made him alive again. That same power, we were spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. And I wish I wish people that are saved could understand that, that before you're saved, you're spiritually dead. It would help you handle lost people a lot better. Sometimes you wonder why so-and-so won't just do right, won't just quit their carousing, won't just quit their running around, won't, and you, you browbeat them, you fuss at them, because they're dead. I challenge you to go to the morgue, if you could get in the morgue, Go up to a dead person, a dead body, and ask them or demand of them or tell them what they ought to be doing. You know what you're going to get? No response out of them. Do you know what you get when you go to someone spiritually dead and tell them they ought to be doing things that a spiritual saved person does naturally within their spirit? You're going to get no response out of them. You have to pray for their salvation. And then when you get when you pray for their salvation and they get saved, then guess what? Those that were dead in trespasses and in sins get quickened. They get to be made alive. How? Through a new birth. And when they're made alive, they can grow in grace. They can mature. They can grow up and into Jesus Christ. My, that's good. And in verse 2, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. You walked a path according to the world. You went the world's course. You went by the world's way. According to the prince. Now you remember, we just read that Jesus is above principalities. But before you walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So someone that's a disobedient child is someone, ladies and gentlemen, that has to be corrected through the spirit of God. And that's what we are and were before we get saved, a disobedient child. So what Paul is doing, he is continually making analogies to children, to being dead and made alive, to try to illustrate for us some of the things that happens for us in the new birth. That is why we're going into this study on walking with God. That's why we're studying Ephesians is because when you get saved, so many things happen to you that most of you don't even know. You've never had a preacher or teacher tell you about them. So many things occur inside of you. And so many things are possible in you and for you once, once you get saved that never were possible before. And once you get saved, God can take and shape and make and mold. Some of you have been saved many years, but you're really now starting to get into Bible study. 
I'm excited to see what God will do in you and for you. Some of you have gotten saved recently. I think of Samuel. I'm excited to see what God's going to do in and through and, and, and for Samuel. I was just texting last week and a church, former church member. I preached a message called Lost in the House. He got saved the first Sunday I ever went to Emmanuel to take the church. I'd been there two other Sundays or one other Sunday. I come this time to accept the office of the pastorate there. And and he and I were just texting through or conversing through text and he was talking about uh, just growing in grace and I was just marveling at, at where this, this man is. And he's, I think he's probably, I don't know, he's probably 41, 42, maybe a little older. And I've watched his life and I've known about his life and his maturation process. Others that I've had the privilege to not just see them get saved. And you see, that's what church is all about. Yes, church should have an evangelistic outreach. But but church, in and of itself, is a called-out local visible body of believers. That That's it. That's what it is. How many of you got saved in church? Probably not a lot of us. I know I didn't. Kevin didn't. I'm not sure about some others. Maybe you did. And if you did, that's a wonderful place. But God give us the church so that believers may be able to grow in grace and in truth. We can make disciples and go out into the world and see and get people saved. And that's the most exciting thing for me as a pastor is to teach you the Word of God week in and week out and watch your growth and your maturing process spiritually. That, that's, that's what this is about. That's what Ephesians is about. That's what Bethany is about. That's, that's it, is to make disciples, make mature disciples so that you can have an impact in the world, in the sphere in which you live and operate in this world. And that's an impact for Christ. And then when you get folks saved, you see people get saved, you give them Bibles, invite them to church, and you know what? Then they make become disciples. And they go out and make make other disciples. That's that's the call. That's the work of God in the church. And that's what we're studying Ephesians four. That's what we're talking about walking with God for. And that's my desire and my hope for each of you. I love you with all my heart. I thank God for you. I'm very much looking forward to this Ephesians study. Uh, the next time we'll start back in Ephesians two one. And we'll probably get through most of chapter 2 on Sunday night. Good night. God bless. And I love each of you.